Well, it's also my pleasure, as I spoke earlier, that the uh, pastors are having an opportunity to travel their winter tour, if you will, uh, their little winter respite where I think they go skiing and we pray. Please, please pray over the pastors, okay? He may get the crazy idea to go skiing again or snowboarding or something. So just be with, if he tries it, just pray, pray, pray first that he'll make it safe and he'll keep his keys. He'll know where they are because you remember the story. He's lost them on that mountain before. God's always found him for him. So we hope he doesn't have that testimony again. Let him come back safe. Let him have a good time. Just lift him up in prayer for that. It's in that spirit, though, that we are very blessed as a church that we're able to bring to you good quality speakers. Uh, we don't have to go out and find somebody. We can. We can go call somebody. We can lots of friends out in the community and other churches that would come in and, and give you a great word. But we're so blessed as a church to be able to have those individuals in our house. And it's our opportunity when the pastors go out to, to deliver them to you and let you hear how they're growing and see how they're growing. And today we're going to bring up Brady Webster. Webster. I had something else I wanted to say. Brady Webster is going to come up. Uh, and it's just, as you're listening, just experience uh, the growth that's occurred and what God's doing amazingly in his life. Thank you. Good morning, church. I'm talking about. Good morning. morning. That's what I'm talking about. So we have a heavy topic today. Um, Here's a secret. They're all heavy. Um, But before we get started, we have a request, a petition of the church. Um, As you know, part of our sheepfold, Damien and Alyssa Uern. Uh, Alyssa's mother, Bonnie, has stage four cancer and she's just been diagnosed. And we as a believing church that believes in the working power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray. So I ask you to join me now before we go any further. Father in heaven, Lord of grace, King of the universe, when we come to you to first give thanks for all that you've done and for all that you can do, Lord, we appeal to your word and one of your names is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Lord, just like, just like you healed the man who was lowered through the faith of his friends to your feet from a rooftop, you healed the spirit before you ever healed the body. Lord, we lift up Bonnie, Alyssa's mother today, to your caring, loving hands, in faith, believing that you can eradicate this cancer in her body. You can, Lord, it's your word. You can do it. And we, church, are a believing church. We believe in the working miracle power of the Holy Spirit to move through her body and to produce a testimony, a testimony for Damien and Alyssa, their children, to last for generations, Lord. We also ask that you would hold Damien and Alyssa in your hands. Lord, grant them peace in their home through their hearts by your grace. Lord, be gentle with them. I specifically pray for Damien, Lord, that you will give him wisdom and discernment as a kingdom man as he walks his family through this period of challenge. Knowing that all things work for the good of those who are yours, your purposes prevail. It's in faith we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, church, so pastor has been moving through the Love Is sermon series, and we're going to keep that, but we're going to move a different direction within that framework. 
Um, but you'll see our focal verse is found in 1 Corinthians. But we're going to camp out in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, if you want to dog ear those pages, for those of you that have your Bibles. Um, I may frustrate you because I might be all over the place, but really Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 is primarily where we're going to spend most of our time. In 1 Corinthians 13.4, the focal verse for the sermon series, you'll find these words. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Amen. It is truth. Some versions say that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Today, we're going to talk about one of the toughest teachings in Christianity. And at the point I told pastor, I was excited to say, I would like to preach on forgiveness because it's something that I have been consistently challenged on and it's an ongoing study and it's, it's a, it's a tough thing, right? Is it not? I know it is. We're all post-fall, so I have an idea that we all have some commonality. We're all born. We all die. We all have offended somebody, and we've all been offended. You've been alive more than 15 minutes. So I'm going to tell a story to kick us off on an experience I had. So after pastor and I had the discussion on what I would preach on, uh, and there was agreement uh, looking at the material in the Bible and, you know, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, all the Gospels, uh, the Old Testament, Isaiah, like, where do you go? Like, it sounded cool when I said it, but <laughs> it's really challenging. Um, but I was sitting at dinner with my son. Who's familiar with Gary Chapman? The five love languages is probably what he's most popular for. Gary Chapman is not my son. Um, I was sitting with Cash, and I, I bought, Gary Chapman's produced a discussion starters list of cards, and they're on the dinner table. So we were sitting at dinner, and he grabs the box, and he wants to lead. He's a young man. He's going to be 15 on Tuesday, so I get it. So he starts asking the questions, and one of the questions he asks is, tell me about a time when you were sad. So playing the game, I, the only thing I could think about was when my mom died. So I said, when my mom died. And he thought about it. Tell me a real story about being sad. And I said, well, turns out, knucklehead, that was a real story. But he wanted detail. He wanted to know. And it occurred to me that I, ha I hadn't quite shared the detail that I shared with him after I shared it. It occurred to me. I'm going to share that story with you all. So in March 2013, my mom, I lost her. And the lead-up of life, uh, she had decades and decades of bad decisions, engaging in sin, including drugs, men, drinking, all the things that, you know, you would prefer not to do, especially in your mother. Um, so, growing up as a kid, I had a lot of anger, had a lot of resentment toward that, especially when I had my daughter, because when I held her, I understood abandonment. And I just thought, who would not want to be involved if you have ever felt what I feel when I'm holding and looking at her? Well, 
We go to the hospital. I have an older sister, a younger brother, and we were all there. I have, at that time, my grandparents were alive, her mother, uh, my grandfather, and her older brother, Uncle Johnny. So we were all in the hospital room. My mom had gotten sick, and she was in there, and she was on a ventilator. And I started putting together the, the information that the nurse had come in and reiterated the story several times. Here's the, here's the data and information, just the facts. He didn't engage past that. He was allowing us the opportunity to come to our own conclusions. So it was maybe day four or day five. I'd gone through the motions of visiting with my mom and then trying to go back to work, and everybody was uncomfortable. My boss came out like, what are you doing here? I said, I have no idea. I'll go back to the hospital. It was like that. But in the room on that final day, uh, it was all the people that I had mentioned that were there. My sister left. She was emotional. Uh, She didn't know what was going to happen yet. My brother said uh, he needed to do some things. He was emotional. He left. My uncle left. He'd been kind of a wallflower the whole time. Um, It was his sister. Um, And then it was uh, myself and my grandparents, and my grandpa put his hands on my shoulders and told me he loved me and left the room. And then my grandma, boo-boo, she came up to me and put her hands on my shoulders. It's kind of like this. And... She told me she loved me, and she kissed my cheek, and she says, you're the leader of this family. We will respect your decision. And that was a heavy thing. It was a heavy thing, because I knew the decision that needed to be made was, there's no more brain activity, and removing this ventilator seals the deal. She moves on. So I made that decision. And we were in the room when my mom's life left. And she was absent with the body and present with Jesus. 2012, a year prior, I didn't have a lot of contact with my mom for years. My uncle called me out of the blue. He says, hey, nephew, y'all don't know my uncle. Hey, nephew, your mama's down there in Austin, and I'd rather you go do something for her than boo-boo because she's stressing and I'm busy. So I said, no problem, sends me the address. My mom needed to go to the hospital, so... I went and saw her for the first time in 8 to 12 years to help. And uh, that was 2012. I've been here since 2010. So blood-bought believer by that point. And asked for her. And by this time, she's lost all of her teeth. She's lost her sight. She's frail. She's in a cane. So she has almost zero quality of life. And I tell her, the person who answers the door, I'm here for Judy. They're surprised. Tells me not many visitors. So they go get her. She comes to the door. I say one word. She says, Bredo. She she recognized my voice, you know, believe it or not. So we visit the day of before I take her to the hospital for her appointment. And I can tell she's not on drugs. She's not drinking. But her mind is scattered and it's ravaged from all the years of those bad decisions. She's all over the place. She's telling me stuff from 1950s. She's telling me stuff from the 60s, stuff that I don't need to know about, all those kind of things. And I just stopped her. And I was struck with, I'm sitting with my mom, I know Jesus, and that's just enough. I said, Mom, I love you, and I forgive you. And we had that moment. Now, the power of forgiveness to unlock something that I never knew was about to happen. But I don't know what cage of torment I would be in right now had I not forgiven her if I had to make the decision to be the one to remove her from care. Maybe you have something similar in your life, but those are the things we're going to talk about today. And it's not an easy thing. 
So if you go into Matthew 6, yes, I know I told you we're going to camp out in Matthew 5, but you're going to be frustrated with me. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to give you practice. If you go to Matthew 6, you'll find Jesus' model prayer. Okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the meat of the model prayer is what? We just prayed. If you pray, I encourage you to pray it. Maybe prayer is uncomfortable, but you have a model prayer that you can read. You can pray scripture verbatim. Guess what? The Lord knows his word. It's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How do we know that? Because immediately Jesus, still red letters, says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And like Jesus does in typical fashion, the uncomfortable part of what he does is he keeps talking. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. So the meat of the model prayer is forgiving me so that I can forgive others. It's assumed. And most commentators, they do believe in some of the verses I'll share. It's going to be between you and the Lord to work this out. But most commentators believe this is not talking about ultimate eternal forgiveness. This is talking about post-salvation forgiveness. It's important. Forgiveness is important. It's a big deal. Jesus talks a lot about it. As a matter of fact, they wrote a book about it. The Bible. (laughs) We'll get into Jesus' big forgiveness later. But we need to talk about some things, right? You have vertical and horizontal. You have vertical forgiveness, which is our forgiveness from the Heavenly Father. You have, if that's not intact, if that's not in place, if you don't recognize your identity from what that produces, from what that says you are, there will be a problem with your horizontal forgiveness. Both being the offender and being offended. I mean, if you've been alive for 15 minutes, you know that Jesus' words are true, like prophecy fulfilled in the end times as the clock starts winding low. It is impossible that offenses won't come, right or wrong. Change my mind. I'll wait. Yes, I know that there's Olympics going on in Beijing, but there's also the oppression Olympics going on in America. And some people are highly trained, well-tuned athletes at that game of being offended. Here's Jesus' words in Matthew 5 where I told you to camp out. So here we are. We made it. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is when you're the offender, and the Lord brings it to your attention. But here's what the representation of that is. At the altar, the time with which Jesus was speaking, the altar was where you did what? It was forgiveness of sins, where you you praised and worshipped the Lord. You offered sacrifices. 
You gave of yourself. That was the convergent space. They didn't, they didn't have what we have. That was, that was the convergent space. What, what, okay, what does it look like today? I'll further explain. It's church. It's sitting in church. It's hands held high worshiping. If the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance something that you've done to somebody, leave that convergent space and go be reconciled to your brother. What is he saying? Say, I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. What does it take to do that? It takes humility. And if, if you can't do that, there's more scripture for you. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the I'm sorry for whatever that is, right? I know that the commonality in here that I've shared, you're born, you'll die, you've offended, and you will be offended. I've offended a lot. At work, I've been told that my humor is a career limiter. (laughs) I think I'm funny, and sometimes I just can't help myself with comedic timing, not many people think I'm funny, but come on, I do sometimes. But I have a tendency at times to maybe be insensitive and maybe take advantage of something I think is funny that might not be funny to somebody else. And sometimes that's not okay, and sometimes it does come to mind. So that's a small way, low risk way to say, I'm sorry. There are bigger examples than that. But we all have them, and I don't know who you're thinking about right now, that you've slandered, that you've had bad thoughts toward, but right before this verse that I've just read is talking about murder. Hello. Jesus is teaching. They're red letters for you, you, those of y'all who have those Bibles. That's the words you definitely pay attention to. But forgiveness, you need to know, what is it? I think it's important to say that it's possible. Forgiveness is possible. It's unnatural because we live in a world that would say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and then twist scripture and say, if somebody has offended me, he needs to pluck his eye out. That's in the bucket of things Jesus never said, but it sounds kind of like it, right? We have the flesh versus the spirit. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I need to do. You're in good company because Paul had this going on in his life. And he did a lot. Forgiveness is a decision. I don't feel like it. Well, guess what? It's not a feeling. It's a decision that you make over And then you make it again, and then you make it again, and then you make it again. And by God's grace and asking him for his provision, guess what? Your heart changes. And forgiveness is best understood when considered legally, where justice is concerned. So an offense, a trespass, a debt, is something you owe. So when... You have offended somebody, you owe them something. 
you have, you have encroached upon a moral standard. The moral standard is the Bible, the Word of God. You've offended them, so you owe them something. Conversely, when someone has offended you, where justice is concerned, they owe you something. That's why you see the terminology in the Bible, debt, trespass. It all means sin. And we are really good sinners. So here's what you do when you're the offender. You got to remember our first point. I'll throw it out there. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that's who I follow. That's who I wish to emulate. That's who I want to follow after and be like. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, James admonishes us to confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another. Why, James, brother of Jesus? So that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The prayer of faith avails much, but it generates healing. I mean, think about it. When, you, when, when you've done something to somebody and the expectation is that they're going to forgive you, but how much quicker does that happen if you ask forgiveness? You know what? I did this and I'm sorry. That offloads you from guilt, torment, shame, and it frees them from working in this myth that they needed your repentance anyway to forgive. That exists, but it's not true. So healing for both parties. Now, more of our time probably needs to be spent in this next one, unforgiveness. And as I say that, I'm asking you in your mind's eye to consider the person. I can feel it. I can feel it in the room. There is at least one person, if not more, that have a person that came to mind as I said that. And I've prayed and I believe that something I say today is going to set somebody free. It's going to go to that dusty place in your heart and shine light. And it might be uncomfortable, but guess what? It's true. It's right. And I believe for it. In Matthew 18, we have instruction on what to do. When you've been offended. And this one, you got to stay with me. Don't miss this. This is the heart of the message. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many of you know it's more likely than not that Peter had somebody in mind? <laughs> yeah. The reason everybody relates to Peter so much is he's arrogant. And we relate to him. Up to seven times, Peter's making an effort to be the teacher's pet. The popular teaching at the day was that you forgive three times and you're good. So Peter doubles it and adds one. Seven times? <laughs> no. Here's his answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And for the mass scholars in the room... It's not 490. Yes, that's accurate math, and math is pretty finite. I get it. But it's a ridiculous number of forgiveness. It's, it's ongoing. That's the point Jesus is making. Peter was a fisherman. He, not, he might not have known the math anyway. 
So Jesus explains that, and then he goes right into a parable as Jesus does. And this one is not hard to understand. Stay with me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when I scroll to the back of my Bible and see the value of money in the Bible, it says $334,000 is a silver talent. Well, I don't know what year this was published, but it's probably a lot more, so you can understand. The story's ridiculous because the amount of money he's just said that was owed is unpayable for the purpose of our understanding the illustration being made. That's how they heard it. 10,000 talents? He's talking to fishermen. Even the tax collector, Matthew, he probably wasn't banking like that. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. Who does that sound like? Released him and forgave him the debt. And like Jesus typically does, he keeps talking. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii. When I look at money, it's not much. That's the point. The point is, is you've been forgiven. I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is, is the first servant was forgiven an amount that could never be paid, that was ridiculous. And now he's gone out and this guy owes him not that much money. Three months wages is typically the understanding. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay all the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and went told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father, this is Jesus talking, please listen, also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Reading these words from me does nothing. The power of the Holy Spirit does everything. And those pauses, I'm allowing that to happen because of what Jesus just said. The story that was just told, it had jaws on the floor. It had to have. Quite frankly, there should be jaws on the floor in here. I'm going to read it again. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay, do what? Okay, most of the commentators believe in the parable, the torturers, Satan is the jailer and the demonic are the torturers. So unforgiveness 
creates a prison cell, and you call it what you want, but here's some names for it. Bitterness, anger, self-pity, anxiety, depression, spirits of shame, spirits of guilt, spirits of infirmity. It's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice, but here's the sacrifice. So I would ask you, How much are you going to allow the locusts to eat of your time, of the joy of your salvation, of your peace? If it's a choice, that's the choice you're making. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's unnatural. Yes, they hurt me. But you don't understand. They owe me something. Well, you owe Jesus something because to ultimately understand, we have to know that we deserve wrath outside of Jesus in the cross. And if we don't understand that, then we don't understand forgiveness. And we don't have the ability to give what we have not recognized that we've received. I'm okay with the uncomfortable silence because of the heaviness of what I just said. But we need to know the key to our forgiveness is in our hands. By his grace. So if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, then my purpose, my job, what I'm here for is what? To be a Christ-like disciple maker. Have you heard that before? I didn't make it up. That's point two. In Colossians, you have Paul. Paul knows a thing or two about forgiveness. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. He's banging on the same drum. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So he's talking about forgiveness and all the fruit of forgiveness, the fruit of the Spirit, And it's all encapsulated in love. So unforgiveness is what then? It's bringing hell up into the relationship. Both personally and whatever relationship you want to define. Your marriage, your friendships, your friend group, your family. What is prayer? Prayer is inviting heaven down. There are only two cultures. When everything is said and done, when the clock winds low, And we have the rapture, we have the seven-year tribulation, which the saints aren't here, we're at a party. Then you have the thousand-year reign of Christ, then you have Satan, beat up, broke, busted, and disgusted, loose at the end of the thousand-year reign, then you have the new Jerusalem coming down. There's only going to be two cultures that exist. One is marked by forgiveness, and the other is marked by what? unforgiveness but you don't know what they did but do you know what he did do you know what you've been given all the all the most emotional christian movies they're all predicated predicated on the idea of forgiveness am i wrong you know the you know the formula by the end of the movie somebody's going through big forgiveness and we're all crying i can only imagine he forgave his father Isn't that wild? It's all about forgiveness. 
speaking of Paul, here's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. He says this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Well, Brady, you said Matthew 5 and 18, but I also said I was going to do this. So I was very honest with you. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. What was Paul not dwelling on? He wasn't always called Paul in the Bible. He was introduced in the story, in the narrative of the Bible in Acts 7. Acts 7, you have a leader in the church in Jerusalem, Stephen. And he's considered the very first martyr documented in the Bible. You had Christ, resurrection, before then there were no Christians. Stephen was the first documented martyr, the proto-martyr. So Stephen defends Christianity and Jesus with the Old Testament in a way that the Hebrews and Judaizers would understand. And they didn't like it. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They threw him down. They stoned and murdered him. They stoned and murdered Stephen. But here's what you find. I have to read this Hebrews verse for this to make a lot more sense. This is also Paul. No, it's not. Some people think it is. Some people don't, but that's between you and God. I think it is. I therefore, well, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, the word is martyr. It's the same word used for martyr. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You find multiple occurrences where Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father, but you have one occurrence where Jesus is standing in celebration of his servant dying. Stephen, he gets heaven opened up to him, and he sees Jesus standing in celebration for someone who is bravely being martyred in the process of being murdered. And he echoes these words, Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was in Paul's history. That's where he's introduced to Saul. Because what did they do? They brought honor and laid their cloaks at a man named Saul's feet. He was introduced at the very first martyr assassination. So he goes on and he kills Christians. But folks, I'll fast forward this. (laughs) Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, entered heaven to the cheers and overwhelming celebration of those he murdered. (laughs) That's how forgiveness works. And my last point, point one, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That means point two, my job is to make disciples. Am I pulling hell up? Am I bringing heaven down? Am I a forgiver 
or am I marked by unforgiveness? Because you will have an influence. And three, how do I do that? Where am I looking? What am I looking at? Because if it's not the cross, then maybe I don't understand forgiveness at all. Will you bring me the communion element? Sorry. Thank you. So, as the music starts to play and we have our communion elements, we're going to take a trip to Gethsemane. So, Gethsemane means olive press. Okay? It's an olive garden. The, the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, is where Jesus found himself praying. Many say that that's where our salvation was actually purchased because he made a decision. He prays, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But we know the truth. The truth was, is he drank that cup full of God's wrath. And the decision was made in Gethsemane. But the olive press, the ancient olive press, there were three presses of olives. Called it the golden oil. It was used to anoint kings and priests. It was used to anoint prophets. It was used for healing. It was used for food, cosmetics, and other things. But it was typically three presses. How many times did Jesus come back to his disciples and ask them to keep praying with him, to stand watch? Three times. After the third time, what does the Bible tell us was happening? He was sweating his drops of blood. The pressing began in the Garden of Agony where the decision was made. The Romans were dispatched with the treachery to come to collect him. They asked, who is Jesus of Nazareth? I am he. They all fell down as dead men at his word. One word. They take him. They try him. They beat him. They flog him. They open his skin. They humiliate him. They spit on him. All these things. And then they go to take him to a tree. He has to carry it. He moves down that Via Dolorosa, marked with love, bleeding, sweating. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank anything. Remember, he says, I thirst. He moves toward Calvary with nothing but love because the decision was made in the garden. He's raised up on that tree. He's nailed to the cross and his blood is shed for me and you. Remember the olive press? Remember what it was used for? Remember how many times he came back? There's symbology all over the Bible for what's happening. Guess what? In Gordon's Calvary, the garden tomb in Jerusalem, current day, they've excavated and what did they find? They found a garden in front of the cross and a wine press. Olives and wine are super significant. He shed wine for you and I to establish the new covenant for what? For the forgiveness, the remission of sins. So what we're about to do is in remembrance of him. And if you're not a Christian, today can be the day of salvation. And as I look around, we have a lot of leaders that would love to spend time with you if you make that decision. But it's hard to remember somebody you don't yet know. So this is for Christians. Prior to the whole story that I've just told you, Jesus institutes this at the Last Supper. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body that was broken for you. 
interesting words considering it hadn't yet happened. Eat this in remembrance of me. He raises the wine and says, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Forgiveness, his ministry, his heart, the father heart of God is marked with forgiveness. That is love. And when we drink this, we remember the wine shed for us at Calvary for the remission of our sins gives us the empowerment to be able to forgive others. Father in heaven, Lord of the universe, great King. Lord, we thank you for Calvary. We thank you for suffering. We thank you for the decision to allow us the opportunity to access your kingdom. Lord, we pray by the power of your grace and through the power of the Holy Ghost that we, Lord, we would receive your forgiveness and extend it. That our vertical relationship would be so strong, Lord, that our forgiveness would just fall off of us like water, like the wine that was shed for us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in your name. Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, remind us this week of our homework. Lord, who it was that hurt us, that we would, by your grace, look at what they took from us and then look at what the locusts have eaten and say no more. I'm coming out of that cage. I don't want it anymore, Lord. I want to restore the joy of my salvation for those divine appointments that you've already set up for me to walk in in victory as a child of God, as a blood-bought believer. All these things we believe, we pray for, and we move forth into our week from a place of victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Yeah.